Daniel Ogden is his chief marketing officer for Fume, a company that helps people quit smoking. He grew up on a farm in Canada. He was homeschooled. He learned how to use his time wisely early on in his life. He knew from a young age that he didn't have to hate work and that he could actually do something that he enjoyed. When he was 12 years old, he started his first business, selling drums. He eventually sold that business to some friends. He is currently business partners with those friends today. He then started his own social network. It was tough. He made a lot of mistakes and that business eventually went under. He had a lot of jobs and was great in sales. He used that to earn some serious money. Throughout his life, he went through some highs and some lows, but he never gave up. Listen to how Daniel got to where he is today. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Daniel Ogden as a guest. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. Like you said, my name is Daniel Ogden. I am the CMO at a company called Fume. We've been working for a while to help people quit smoking. Wow. How'd you get into that? You know, it's a funny story. Uh, we created a we created a device back in the early days that just used the benefits of natural plants to help us kind of work out. Shipping the product and working with customers, we realized very quickly that, wow, people are using this to actually help them quit smoking. And there's a lot of research done in plants called like black pepper that actually have tons of amazing benefits to help you quit and to help cravings. And so it was, you know, a bunch of pivots, a bunch of learning. But since then, we've been able to help a lot of people quit smoking naturally without addictives or anything like that. Would you want to become in high school? And how was high school like for you? So high school was interesting. So I was homeschooled right off the get-go. Yeah, homeschooling was very interesting for me because it gave me a lot of room to um, work outside the box, if you will, that commonly that's given to you. And I think time is such an interesting, valuable resource that we're all given. But in school, you're kind of having your time dictated for you. Whereas in high school, I was able to, or you know, in my version of high school and homeschooling, I was able to really use my time a little bit more I would say wisely for business, at least, and kind of change things up. You know, it's funny. You're the fourth guest that's been homeschooled on my podcast. Yeah, whatever. We're up to like 60-something episodes, the fourth guest. And my business partner in another business, the virtual event business, he doesn't have... Again, he was homeschooled. And, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people have this misconception that homeschooling is like typically like this weird, you're weird and stuff. But oftentimes homeschooling people, if you have good parents who have a good structure... Typically, it's like you'll get an experience that you'll never get. Like you'll go it's to a museum, so you'll be so well read. So, you know, for those of you in the audience who are homeschooled, just realize, you know, take that as an advantage and, you know, find that homeschooling community because I've come across very intelligent people who've been homeschooled. You know, I always like to put it this way for a lot of people who have uh, their own ideas of what homeschooling means. It's kind of more like that weird people often homeschool, but it doesn't mean that if you homeschool, you're going to be weird. Do you, know what I, do you know what I mean? No, that's a great analogy because the majority of homeschool kids end up well. It's just you get a couple of... It, it, and it all depends on the parents, right? It all depends on why you're being homeschooled and what the reason is. And sometimes, you know, it just works out. You get to travel a lot more. You get to experience life a lot more. And it really opens up your perspective. So what do you want to be in high school? Right out of the get-go. So, I mean, we grew up in a rural area of Saskatchewan. So we were in a position where I was, you know... We were playing, I guess you could say we were playing Little House on the Prairie back then. Um, it's a great example of how that works. We were in the garden and everything. And so in high school for me, I was working hard, hard, really, really hard just on the farm and the garden and all sorts of things like that. And, you know, it clicked for me pretty early on that I don't have to do something I hate for my whole life to, to just to make it, if you know what I mean. 
I didn't know what I wanted to be, but I knew that I wanted to do something I loved, something that was passion. So I, I started working hard pretty early on to try to make that a reality. You said you're working hard. Like, what'd you do to work hard? Yeah. So when I was 12 years old, I started my first business uh, making cajones. Uh, if you don't know what a cajon is, it's a box drum. It's a Spanish box drum. So I started making these drums. You know, I really wanted a drum kit. There was no way my mom was going to let me have a drum kit at the house. So I just went out and built it, you know, and I think that's one thing that being homeschooled, you learn really easily, especially just being on the farm. You don't need to necessarily need to be homeschooled, but it's like, if you don't have something, if you don't know how to get it, just go find a way to do it. So I built my first drum, you know, when I was about 11 and it, it just sounded terrible. It was, it was a very, very horrible experience, but I knew what I did wrong. I knew what I could do differently. And so I made a second drum and it sounded a lot better. And, and that's kind of started the journey. It's like, well, I want to sell this. So I started, I mean, this is very early on in the e-commerce age, but I started trying to put this on e-commerce, trying to sell online through, I think it was Google Blogs at the time. I created a website, Google Blogs. Yeah, yeah. Shopify didn't exist then, right? No Shopify. I was Blogger. That's what it was called. Yeah. People really don't understand how easy Shopify makes it before. It was like, it was tough. You had to integrate a bunch of things to sell something online. Now it's like a one-click button and you pay for a theme and you're ready to go in 24 hours. Yeah, $30 a month and there you go. It's really simple, I know. Yeah. So how did that business go? You know what? It was very hard. So I spent the first two years of my life, you know, writing fake, not fake, but posting news to Wikipedia that was consistently gotten removed about cajones and how my cajon is the first curved cajon in the market. So I spent two years just back and forth, but I, I didn't want to work in the garden. I didn't want that being my life. I worked at a, um, I worked in this small rural town. I worked in a, actually, um, a, the gas station there. And uh, while I was there, I was like, well, I got to do my school. So like, that's a fine on lunch breaks. You can do your school. So I'd cram all my school into when I was working. And then when I wasn't working, I'd take all the money from that job and I'd put it into the business and I'd go and work. And, you know, two years of just nothing, not one sale. And one day I get a phone call from a guy, a guy in Ontario at a music store who wants three of my homes. And it just, it just changed things, you know, for me at the time. And that was when I was about, I would say about 15. Okay. So you got these three sales out. How did it make you feel? Yeah, like three drums. I was pricing my drums really expensive. You know, an average cajon at the time was maybe $150. I was pricing mine at $400 a cajon. I was hand making them. So it wasn't like there was much profit in that, but uh, it was a big deal for me. I was 15 with $400 coming in for my first sale. And, and ever since uh, ever since that point, you know, I just started seeing maybe one cajon a month, two cajons a month. It got pretty busy at the time, you know, Christmas comes rolling around and we started selling quite a few. And I had to start getting my friends and I actually asked my uncle at the time. I was like, Hey, could you, he was, he didn't have a job. I'm like, could you work for me? And he was like, yeah, I don't think I want to work. <laughs> That's just, that just feels a little embarrassing. So I got my friends to work for me and, and pretty soon I just realized, uh, you know, to be honest, like I love the online stuff, but making cajones was just not a thing. It was not a passion thing anymore. And every time a sale came in, I was almost like, oh no, like I have to make another cajon. Yeah, yeah. So you were kind of making them on demand. On demand. Yeah. No inventory. Yeah. I eventually I did get inventory and then, you know, I, I got a loan from my parents, built up a bunch of inventory, drove around Winnipeg, which was, you know, a, a hotter spot for cajones. And then, cause I was in Saskatchewan. And then uh, I end up just, you know, doing a bunch of deals with with small online or sorry, small stores, just music stores in the area. And, you know, that was all right. But yeah, mostly just to order. When did you stop that business? So I stopped that business when I was about 18. And once I was 18 at the time, you know, I, I, I realized pretty quickly that I wanted to do something online. You know, apps were a big thing. I, ha I was teaching myself a bit of Swift or Objective-C at the time. 
you know, a bit of programming languages. And I realized, you know, I want to get into game design, uh, making games, you know, so uh, typical, I, you, you don't know what you want to do. It's just, Hey, I don't want to be, you know, working at nine to you know, nine to seven or seven to nine, whatever it is. Okay. So you, <laughs> so what'd you end up doing? Like, you, you know, you had some ideas, which ones did you end up executing on? Well, we started making a video game at the time. We got some interest, but then really learned that we were more, you know, came up with an idea pretty early on after I kind of sold the business to some friends. Funny enough, the friends that kind of took over the business at the time, David Strum, are the same ones that, that I turned that eventually turned started running Fume, the business I'm at currently. So really interesting how that worked its way around. But uh, no, we actually, we started making some games, got some interest in Kelowna, to move out to, you know, to, to a, not a rural, you know, farm community, but actually far more of a serious community. And we, we realized pretty quickly, we actually wanted to pivot into more of a social media than a, a video game at the time. So we made a social network called Ego, um, which is, I don't know if it was a funny word that it worked really well with social media, but basically it was an, it was an app built for networking. And what it would do is it would show you all the people around you. Like if I had the phone, it would show me the closest people to me, but then it, it wouldn't show me, you know, everything about that person. It would show me what they had in common, what we had in common. And we'd do tests where we take a bunch of people in a room and, uh, we'd ask them questions like, you know, do you know this person? And once you force them to start talking really quickly, you realize they both like the same artist that no one really likes. They both knew the same, had the same friend or, and it was really interesting. And so we realized pretty quickly that universities had a big problem where people were going home on Christmas break and not coming back because they didn't make friends. And so making friends was a big deal for a university. And really that tied into finding people that were like you, right? Finding people that had the same interests as you. And so they were interested and kind of gave us the ability to say, okay, look, you guys can, we run a lot of networking parties early on. You guys can basically take over running the party and then say, you know, the only way to get into the party is if you download our app, kind of like a Tinder type model. So we tried that and, uh, you know, moved out. We, we got, we, we went to a, I was 18 at the time. I didn't know anything about investing, anything about shares, anything about business. We went to a local Tim Hortons own, you know, owner in Saskatchewan and he was like, yeah, this is cool. I'll invest. I'll give you 10 K, which we thought was a lot of money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of money for a college student. It's like, oh my God, 10 K. Yeah, exactly. And then we were like, well, what do we, or he asked, he actually asked like, do I, do you want to do like, is this type A shares, type B shares? Like what, what's the model? And we were like, what? Okay. We don't know what we're doing here. So really early on, we end up trying to find a couple of advisors and, you know, people who could tell us what's up with business. And that's when we realized we don't want that deal. Number one. And secondly, we need to move to Kelowna. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't take that deal, right? Because it was just like, Hey, you guys are not ready. What'd you end up doing? Like, how'd you end up sort of making it work? We end up funding uh, around at $20,000 for about 20% of the business, which is terrible if you know anything about business. Just no, it's a bad, bad deal. We didn't know what we were doing at the time, which is a better deal than this other guy gave. So we thought we were making a good deal. And you know what? We moved to Kelowna. We got a lot of interest. We got VCs. We got lots of people interested in the idea, but we just undervalued the project heavily. A lot of our mistakes, a lot of our mistakes caught up with us and eventually the business went under. So even today, you know, COVID would have been a huge problem for Ego as a startup. But, uh, you know, outside of that, like, it's a good idea, but it just really, it didn't have the ability to really have legs because of the inexperience. And you know what, when we left, we knew, like, we were aware of our inexperience, but it was conversation we had as, you know, my friends were going to college actually at the time. And it was like, I either go to college 
which is if you're homeschooled, it is a bit trickier. You know, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't even have a high school diploma. I just never need, I've never needed it. You're the second person without a, a high school diploma. Yeah. Like I think I finished grade, grade 10. Now my schooling is a lot more than that, especially in my field, but it's just been experience. And so I had that, I had that debate, like either I go to college and try to learn these things, or I can go get someone else's money. And I mean, it's, they were willing to invest someone else's money into my business and learn through my business. You know, maybe, maybe I'll fail, but what I won't do is not learn, right? Like I'm going to have the experience. And, and that's exactly what happened, right? It, it failed pretty drastically, kind of a sad story how it failed. But at the end of the day, we pulled away a lot of experience and even better than that experience was proof to a lot of other people and a lot of the networking that we had done that, Hey, these guys actually know what they're doing when it comes to, you know, some of my talents at the time was UX designing graphics, pieces like that. So what were some of the mistakes you made and what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from that inexperience? Oh, gosh. The biggest mistakes that I've made, like especially early on in business, I've always been making my decisions a little too quickly, specifically for me. My biggest challenges, my biggest mistakes is not being consistent, I would say. Uh, And the biggest lesson was learning when not to be consistent, if that makes sense. When you all of a sudden have a story where you're not consistent enough in moving a project or, you know, your career down a certain path, the truth is you need to be flexible enough to be able to transition and know when to transition. You have to consistently do the right things. And if you're doing bad things, stop consistently doing them. Stop consistently doing them. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I was too all over the place wanting to try this, wanting to try that, wanting to go here. And if you don't see a project through to the end, you're never going to get any value out of it. But at the same time, if you're in the middle of a project, you needed to know, you know, needing to know the balance of when you actually need to pivot, um, switch things up and not just stay consistent. You know, I think that some of my colleagues, you know, some of my close friends and ego at the time, they've kind of been like, okay, well, the problem was we weren't consistent enough. So that's just verbatim how it is. If I say X on February, I'm going to do X. Then all the way to the next year, January, I'm doing that X. But it's like you might have known in you know April that it was a bad decision you needed to change, but you weren't giving yourself flexibility. So it's the, it was the balance of the two was the biggest learning for me. Yeah. So now this shutdown, what was the next thing? What was the next project adventure you kind of jumped off to? Yeah, so it shut down and I needed a job. So I went to Domino's. There was no other, nobody else would kind of hire me at the time. I worked there for three weeks and just realized it was the worst thing ever. And I just wasn't going to do it. You delivered pizzas or you, you know what? My partner delivered pizzas. My partner in Fume, my uh, co-founder, and I decided I was going to because we lived together. We kind of shared expenses to make it make sense when we moved up. So I decided I'd make the pizzas because we only had one car at the time when we were sharing it. Yeah. Wow, that's that's cool. Okay, so three weeks, and what what made you quit in the third week? The money was one thing; it was like three hundred dollars. It wasn't enough, right? It just straight up wasn't enough. But really, what it was is my coworker uh, was forty years old, and she had been working there a while. I wanted to shake her and yell at her and be like, "What are you doing here?" You know. And so, some people I've realized, especially now, some people prefer that they want the consistency. I couldn't stand it, and I wanted nothing to do with anything there. So I I left as soon as I could. Okay. So, and what'd you do? I jumped over, I ended up getting an opportunity. We ended up jumping over to helping another entrepreneur actually at the time. He was working with mortgage brokers, building websites and stuff like that. And so I had a lot of experience. So, you know, we walked in and it was me and my partner and we were like, Hey, we're a package deal. You hire one of us, you hire both of us, which is kind of a weird thing to say, but it ended up working out. He hired us on the spot and we started working for him. And, uh, again, my lack of experience just caught up with me at the time. And I didn't, didn't quite know how to really work because I never had worked in another, another tech startup, right? you know, not really knowing how to work within a tech startup, how to respect, how, you know, when I thought something was dumb, I would just say, this is dumb. This isn't making money. You know, he had me on projects that weren't actually helping the bottom line. And I thought it was dumb. 
And he just wanted me to be just someone to make websites. Like he wanted me to do the task that was given. And so I got, uh, you know, he never fired me, but we'll say that he just, did, he stopped giving me hours essentially. You know, I went back to my, I remember in my home office just being like, well, I don't, can't work at Domino's. This, you know, try to tech startup, that didn't work. I'm just going to get on the phone and sell these websites myself. Like I'm just going to try to make these websites for people myself. And he had a couple other things he was doing. Like he would, he would actually, he started a business called client caller. And what he would do is he would, he would call for a mortgage broker. If they get a deal, that's like a $3,000 deal. So he would call once a year, he would, he would pay an assistant to call their past clients just to say, how's it going? Is there anything I can help you with? And they would get two or three deals. So it made sense. So every month they would call through the past clients just to keep up with them. But that kept the mortgage broker from having to do anything. So he had a couple other businesses like that. I was thinking about doing these sales calls just to make my own websites. I was like, well, why, if I could sell them on multiple products, why wouldn't I give them to him? So I called up my old boss and said, hey, can I, can I do that? And he was like, you know what? Come in. Like, come in. I actually want to talk. I came in that day and he was like, yeah, I was actually just thinking about doing sales or starting a sales department for client color. You know, maybe we can do something more on commission base and see where you are. So, you know, he started, there's account executive and then there's a sales, sales development rep. If you know anything about sales, sales development just calls and says, are you interested in talking? Yeah, you're interested. Okay. Talk to the account executive. And so I started doing that really quickly. He was like, you'll get $25 for every person you send over. Well, I was like, okay, that's a hundred dollars if I get four of these people. So I got on the phone and immediately just started making sales. I started getting, or not sales, but I got these uh, people willing to talk and I started booking calls and pretty quickly realized I could make $200 a day. And at the time, that was a big deal for me. But the account rep wasn't doing anything. <laughs> the account executive wasn't bringing any of these sales. And so, you know, Scott was his name at the time. He brings me in and says, okay, you, you know, I'm going to have to let you go. You know, these, you're, you're getting a lot of calls, but you're not making any sales. And I was like, make me the account executive. Like, just get me on the phone with these guys. And so we worked out a deal where he said, okay, I'll let you get, you know, I'll, I'll give you, I think it was like something like $500 at the time if you get a client at a certain size. And so I get on the phone and I realized their sales process was just really bad. They needed to like sign a contract, send it off to them. Wait, there was just so much interference with actually bringing a sale in. So I cut all that out of the process. Within my first two days, I ended up racking up 20 grand in commissions, just a ton of sales. I didn't know at the time I had an idea for sales, but I just, it ended up clicking. Something in me just worked and it worked really well, but they couldn't afford to pay the commission. Like it was just, they didn't, they didn't set it up right where they got paid out later and they just didn't have enough money in the bank to pay that. So I was pretty early on. I was like, okay, look, you're running your other businesses. Your other partner's running his own businesses. You know, if you're doing a deal like this where you didn't even set it up right from the first place, like you clearly have some problems in how you're structuring things in the business, you need to make me basically make me CEO or go find another CEO. Yeah, yeah. Right. Pretty ballsy thing to ask. Uh, I don't think I would ask that at the time the way I did, but you know, he was like pretty early on, he was like, well, if I'm going to do that, like they tried to find another person, they couldn't find anybody else. And they kind of realized I was right. So they eventually made me CEO and I kind of took it on from there. Nice. So how was it being CEO? So yeah, so this time, okay, so there's, there's ego. I was, uh, you know, never officially CEO of ego. And this is the first time I'm officially CEO. And I start, I start running this business and it's making cash. I think we're making $30,000 a month at the time on a reoccurring revenue. It was a lot more than I thought, you know, my friends tease me. I always have this belief that I can do anything. I think, you know, I'm just, I just don't, I believe everything in the world. You're possible. an entrepreneur. You're an entrepreneur. We just, that's what we do. We do that, right? We have that belief. You know, they, they laugh at me because I used to tell a story when I was younger where it's like, if I, look, you can move a bridge with a spoon. And they'd be like, no, you can't, no, you can't. And I'm like, well, if you have enough spoons, you have enough time, even if you're chipping off just a bit of dust off concrete, you can move a bridge. 
and they, they laugh at me because they think it's dumb. But, you know, and that is kind of dumb. No, but I know what the principle you're getting the at. The principle, it was just this thing where it's like anything's possible. So, so you know, I think I naively just jumped in and be like, sure, I can be CEO. And that gets you, that, that's a good thing. That gets you so far. Um, but you need to back it up with, you know, with learning and, and really being willing to learn and, and actually show up. You know, when you get the chance to get an at bat, you need to make sure you perform. And, you know, I just did uh, at the, you know, at that level, at that age, I think I went 19 at the time. I made just so many mistakes and it's good. You, you learn through mistakes, right? It's better to learn through mistakes because failure is guaranteed. You know what I mean? Success isn't always guaranteed, but you're always at least guaranteed to fail. The question is, are you learning off your failure or are you just getting discouraged by your failure? That's the big piece. And so I, I made some really bad mistakes pretty early on. I lost, you know, my investors lost confidence in me at the time. And uh, we ended up selling, you know, well, one of the investors, main leading investor, just ended up selling it underneath me. And uh, I just all of a sudden was jobless again, once again. But uh, Scott at this time realized, like, this guy's a good salesman. And he was selling a coaching program for, for mortgage brokers at the time that was upwards of, it started at around 3K per person coming in. And we eventually worked up to about $15,000 American. And he was like, well, I need a salesperson. So he's like, I'll give you a job. Started getting on the phone. And then one day he just walked into my office and like, okay, you're only commission now. And I hadn't made a sale yet. And I was freaking out a little bit there, but <laughs> pretty sketchy times. But uh, I just did what it took and eventually started making a lot of sales. And uh, that, that turned out to be very profitable for both of us pretty soon. Nice, nice. So how long did you do that? So that would have been two years, uh, you know, two years that I did sales there. I was with client caller for maybe about half a year. So not very long at all. Um, and then, you know, then we started working, doing, uh, working with, uh, these high, high value sales. And, uh, pretty soon I was doing close to a sale a day getting, you know, getting 20% commission. You know, it was very, very good pay at the time, more than I've ever seen. And it changed definitely a lot of things for me, but also, we took the business from making $20,000 a month to, you know, over a million dollars American very quickly within that year. So that was really cool to have that experience. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So what came to the end of the journey? You know what it came to? We kind of rebuilt the business together. He, you know, at that time, Scott had a lot of respect for, you know, some of my ambition, he, you know, that he had experience too. And so together, we kind of built the business, even though it was majority, you know, majority of it was his and I got to the point where I was doing the same thing every day. And, you know, I was like, look, I, I know myself, I don't run business or I don't, I'm not an employee. I'm not a clock in the wheel. Like I need to have a part of the business. Like this needs to be my business. And he just didn't want to do that. And I, I didn't give him an ultimatum, but I basically said, look, if you can't give me shares, then I'm an employee. And for reference, I just don't do employee. That's kind of the end of the road there. So we just got to a point where it wasn't going to move forward. And I just basically said, okay, I'm done. Now, what was running through your head? Janai, this is the weirdest time for me because, well, I didn't, I didn't have schooling. Um, you know, I've, at this point I matured a ton. I really didn't know how to communicate in a business, how to be respectful and, and, and also know, you know, learning from a lot of the mistakes I made a client caller, what to do, what not to do, how to be rash and bold, how to be bold, not rash and make decisions, but not, you know, that be consistent. And at this time I started getting reached out by just so many people, everybody, kind of heard that what, you know, the sales and the marketing that I had done for the business and how I'd grown that marketing. Cause I, I did more than the sales. I managed the marketing too. So I kind of built the entire funnel. I put, you know, I built the Facebook ads, the scale, all pieces of that, and then did the sales myself. So, you know, at this point I was kind of in a position where it was like, I could pick kind of whatever I wanted to go to. There were so many people reaching out to me 
you know, networking is a far better way of getting a job, I would say, than, than even indeed, you know, indeed or these types of things or no degree. These are the ways that you really want to get a job if you have no network. But, you know, I, we had networked pretty heavily. And so a lot of people knew me. They knew what I was capable of. They knew what I did with Scott. And they were very interested in my talent at that time. Yeah. So, okay. So what was the next thing that ended up materializing? The next thing was Fume. So that brings me kind of where I am today. So Braden, who's the CEO now and, and a good buddy of mine, he's, you know, we grew up as friends together. He was kind of talking about it. And at the time, Fume was doing a very small amount. You know, this was their second year in the business. You know, I think, you know, they were like, well, we can pay you literally a quarter of what I was making at the time, just because everyone was kind of eating pennies living in a house together in Calgary, just making, you know, ends meet. So, but there's passion. Um, which I've always followed. There was passion behind what they were doing, you know, helping the world stop, quit smoking. You know, this was something that was incredibly passionate. And then the customers were just accepting. I saw them as I was following the journey. Customers were just super excited about their product and what they were doing in the natural health space. And it was just like, yeah, like I want to jump on board. And like difference too, they were, you know, he was willing to bring me on as co-owner at the time. I could buy in and own a part of the business. So that that made it really interesting to me. How'd you learn the things? Because, you know, you were good at sales, good at marketing, Good at understanding process. Like, what'd you do? Did you read books, online courses? What was your way to learn these things? I get this question a lot, you know, even Adam. And most of the people I hire on my team, this is interesting. I, I mostly hire people. It's funny, but most of the people I hire have degrees. I just don't have it myself. But you can you can get experience, but you still need to learn. Like, you cannot go to college and that can totally work. You still need to learn. For me, it was mentors, number one. That's a huge piece. Um, having the right people around you that really know what they're doing so you can learn from them. That's, that's one big, big piece for me. Reading, you know, as many books as you can, learning how to skim read so you're not reading through every example they give, but you're reading all the value. It's kind of the same thing like a surgeon, like a surgeon learns and practices and learns and practices. And if you can just keep that pattern going through your life, that's a big deal. And we live in the age of the internet. Like there's, you can YouTube anything and get anything you want to know, right? When I first started, uh, with the social media, we started with ego. You know, we needed a UX designer. We needed someone who's really designing the feel, the look, what this was doing. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to become a UX designer, you know? And Stanford had UX courses online. Like they literally posted their UX courses online. I didn't get a professor I could talk to and I didn't get grades that got graded, but I got to learn the same information, right? So that was really helpful back in the day. If you had a couple of books you would recommend, what are the ones that you keep coming back to or you keep recommending? Yeah, Beyond Entrepreneurship by Jen Collins is just, just read it. Don't, don't not. That book is so important. Actually, the BE 2.0 is his newest like, version of that is just absolutely critical. Crossing the Chasm is just a book you have to know. Lean Startup um, is another one. And then E-Myth. The E-Myth Revisited, yeah. That's it's a good one. just a very, very good book, yeah. So those are my kind of top picks. And a lot of times when we bring a new person into the business on my team. It's like, okay, you need to read these. Okay, nice. nice. Yeah, that's amazing. So now, how has the industry changed over time, right? Like just in general, the entrepreneurship has changed, right? Just because when you started, you know, if you had a Shopify, it would have been so much easier, right? So how have things changed? And COVID has been changing so much right now. So, 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 so much. For me, the biggest changes really are just the fact that I find that being an entrepreneur is a cool thing now. Like it's almost like it's a cool respected thing. Like this is like, that's so cool. Whereas before it was like, you're jobless. It's like, Oh, okay. You know what I mean? You're jobless. Really the biggest piece for me was just ability to network is that it's just super improved. It's, it's a lot different than it used to be. Right. 
you know, meeting people and what that means in a networking relationship is another piece. And then COVID changed that even more. We're now we're able to do that online. You know, even now, like we're, we're in the process of doing a raise where we used to have to fly around and actually go meet VCs in person. We're able just to do that from the luxury of our boardroom. So there's negatives to that. But the other big thing has changed is really in the hiring market. It used to be that you needed to be in a big city. You needed to know someone in order to get into a job. Now you almost, you just need a good internet connection, right? Right time zone. And you can work at so many businesses, even perfume. It's a big deal for us when we're scaling, we're growing right now very quickly and hiring is very important. And, you know, we don't need to move to a Vancouver or a Kitchener or Waterloo in order to hire the right talent. We have the ability of working with them from home. And I think everyone's just figured out how to make that working from home actually work. No, I mean, you know, it's interesting how we met is I was watching a live show on podcast advertising and one of your workers was on there and we got speaking and then he mentioned the podcast and his podcast and then that's how he got on. And it's like, this wouldn't have really happened, right? Something before, right? And then the the reason I was watching the, the LinkedIn live show was because she was on my podcast and she didn't have a degree. So it's just, you know, just, and I found her on LinkedIn, right? So it's just crazy how these, and I found her because one of her workers followed my post and she's like, you should have my boss on your podcast. So it's just, it's just so interesting how the world works and how if you're out there and you're putting yourself out there and you're doing the right things that, you know, these things can happen. And you know what it is? It's LinkedIn's always been there. We always know that we've always known the power of LinkedIn, but it's just that I think people used to put a lot more weight to their in-person versus their online. It's changed now where, you know, through LinkedIn, you can get a phone number, you can hop on the phone, you can chat on Zoom. That's changed the relationships and people actually put a lot more weight to their online relationships. And a lot of the best business people, some of the people that we're raising millions of dollars from right now, they don't have, we've never met in person. You know, I think back in the ego days, like that, that's, that would just be unheard of uh, for me, but it's, it's, it's not the case today. Yeah. yeah. Like one of my business partners, I've never met him in person. I look forward to meeting him, but I've never yeah. met him in person. And it's like, <laughs> there he's, you go. You know, He's like a mentor to me. And again, he was homeschooled. So I learned a lot about homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I might tell him about Fume because I think he just quit vaping and stuff. So, no, no way, you, know, you, so you know what? I'll, I'll tell him about Fume and stuff. So it's just it's just crazy how things have sort of changed and all that. So what is, in your opinion, and you could answer it with more than one, what is your biggest accomplishment to date? Hmm. Or what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? These are great questions. For me, the thing I'm most proud about is the learning I've done on myself more than, than, you know, business knowledge, if you will. Those things you can read from a book, but there really is no book on Janide. There really is. That's not something you can go by. And, you know, we live in a very age of, you know, I think mental, either we're just really more aware of mental, you know, mentally how we're doing up there, mental illness. Or it's just something that's really grown just maybe because of social media and extra pieces. Who knows, right? Because of our social relationships gone from in-person to online and we've just got a lot more of those. But, um, you know, in sales very early on, it got to the point where upgrading was no longer going to be something I could do with a coach, with someone else who was with myself, you know, and if, if I could upgrade myself, if I could learn how to rest better, I was going to be able to perform better and, and really putting a big value to that aspect to be able to take on more weight, more load, more learning, quicker learning. Like that's the, that's some of the most important pieces. And so that's what I'm probably the most proud of at this point is just the, you know, self-discipline. It's, it's a hard thing to master and mastering yourself and being able to have control over not only over yourself, but kind of give yourself the things you know you need and make them a priority in order to perform. It's a big, big deal. Yeah. I think self-awareness is such, especially as an entrepreneur, it's so much more important because the more productive and the more you know yourself, 
the more you sort of make, the more you accomplish. Whereas like at a, at a job, yes, you'll do better and stuff, but you don't need to be as self-aware about yourself as a job because you're given tasks. You kind of have to do them. You may do certain tasks well. You may do certain. But in entrepreneurship, it's like, look, time spent focusing on X tasks is time not spent on XYZ, right? So it makes sense that you got to focus on the things that you're the best at, the things you like doing and the things that generate the most ROI because that's the difference between your business raising money and your business not. That's the difference between making money and it's a journey. It's like, look, you know, I've been working since I was like 14 years old. I'm 30 and it's like just different things. And, you know, I used to hustle sneakers and... Yeah, of course. It's so common. That's classic. We all try our things, right? But it's like throughout that, we always learn a lot. And it's like, you know, the fact that you can't be like that at 18 or 21 or 22, you just have to sort of go on this journey to figure yourself out. It's a lifelong journey to sort of even learn yourself. One of the things that I've noticed in myself that I've really, that's really helped me against a lot of different, you know, I have a lot of friends who've taken different routes in life and, you know, and to each their own, they have their own flavor, if you will, what they want to live and how they want to live. And that's good. That's nothing wrong with that. But it, it's just, I, I don't look at the world as a script that I have to fit into. It's the outside. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do. And I see that in a lot of people too. And it's like, all right, there, you know, there is no rules. Like what can be done? What, you know, it's like, what, what's the ability? You know, I never wrote off. That's something that's interesting as I'm growing up and having friends. And, you know, actually my wife is going into, is, is going into university right now, actually. And seeing her journey into that, she's become, she, you know, she wants to become a, a dietitian dietitian, it's not a doctor, but it needs really good grades. There's a lot of, you know, it's competitive. Not everyone can get in. And I realized really early, like a lot of the things I wanted to go into school, I never told myself I couldn't. I just assumed I could, even though now I look at it, it's like, that probably would have been pretty difficult for me, given the fact that I don't even have a high school diploma. Um, <laughs> it would probably need to be some back steps I'd need to take. But I just didn't believe that. I've never believed that ever. And even now, it's like, if I wanted to, I'm sure I could do what it takes to get it. So um, it's a very important uh, mindset that's taken me pretty far. No, I think it's an important mindset to have and it's necessary as an entrepreneur because you have to tackle things that necessarily haven't been done. You have to go into new areas that and people are like, why would you do that? That business doesn't exist. And, you know, it doesn't exist until it does. And then it's that's just how things are. So what was the hardest thing you ever went through? I have personal stuff in my life that has been pretty hard. You know, I've had family members die. That's been a challenge. But, you know, specifically in business, one of the hardest things I've ever gone through was just early on, you know, we we were so excited to do what it took. We got the cheapest place you could possibly get in Kelowna. You know, Kelowna is not that expensive, but it's a lot more expensive than, you know, we were living on $500 a month between myself and my partner, Lucas. And, uh, it's like, that, that's like nothing, right? So we were living in a shack that was pulled up beside a trailer. You know, it got wet, it got moldy. We got really sick. We didn't, you know, in BC, I know it's, it's Canada, but that does, that's not free healthcare. You still had to pay $130 a month for healthcare and we couldn't afford that. So we couldn't even afford to get medicine at the time. You know, we were eating out of the food bank. That was pretty difficult. And we got so sick. We got very, very sick with pneumonia for about three weeks before family members pitched in and we ended up getting the proper uh, doctor care and medicine we needed. And we just thought we had a cough, a bad cough, but it got pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and I look back at photos and I was just super skinny and, you know, the food bank gives you tuna and, and old bread and you can't eat tuna every day because you, that also will get you sick. So there's, you know, that was a really difficult time. And you know what? I would do it all over again, all over again. Absolutely. It was what was needed at the time. You know, we didn't have much money. So that's how it was. Yeah, no, I mean, look, you learn a lot because I've seen, you know, certain entrepreneurs and in entrepreneurship, you'll have the highs, but you'll have those lows and those lows are something else. But I'm pretty sure they don't get lower than, you know, have, you know having pneumonia and eating tuna, right? Every single day. 
Yeah, it's it's tough. But at the same time, I was doing what I loved. You know what I mean? That was that was the big deal. We were spending hours and hours and hours just working away at our social network at the time. And that was a big deal for us. Was there ever a time that a college degree held you back or you felt insecure about not having a college degree? Literally never once. And I've worked, you know, throughout that story, I've worked multiple times in many different businesses. And my, my work has always spoke for me. I remember going into one interview I was not prepared for. They were hiring a much higher position. It was actually at the fastest growing company in Canada at the time called uh, uh, Straw House. Uh, Straw House back then, they, they did digital advertising and they were the ones that kind of invented what video advertising was on Facebook today. And so they grew very, very fast. So they were bringing me in for creative stuff to be more of a creative director or something like that. And I walk in and there's just all my work on the walls, just plastered on these big TVs. And so many, there was like five people in a big boardroom, you know, and they're like, come on in and they're going to talk. And it was kind of dark so they could see the projectors with my work on the wall. And it was just a surreal experience, you know, and it was one of those things that this job, you definitely weren't getting this job unless you had a degree. But it was, they were far more interested at the time in, you know, the work that I had done. And I didn't end up getting the job, but that kind of was a big eye opener for me, at least in my field. You want to be a doctor? That probably won't work. Um <laughs> You know what I mean? But uh, you want to be a dentist, not the same story. But specifically, especially when it comes to tech or working anywhere in that world, even now, you know, with me hiring, I'm sometimes more interested in people that don't have degrees because, you know, you didn't get a, if you are able to do the work, you didn't get a cookie cutter, you know, scenario to get you there. Not that I'm saying anything's wrong with going to high school or, or not high school, but, you know, college or university. But, uh, having the mindset of how can I get this done and what can I do to get this done with my resources is it's a very good mindset that I look for in a lot of the employees we hire. What were some of the mistakes you made really early on in your career? And like, what could you have done to avoid them? Or you just had to make them, right? Just some mistakes you just have to, right? Some it's mistakes a growing up process. you have to make. It's absolutely true. Some mistakes you don't have a choice, you know? So what was the mistake you didn't have to make? The classic mistakes are undervaluing what you create classic mistakes. That's, that's one of the pieces you, I don't know why entrepreneurs, especially passionate entrepreneurs that are more in it for um, the journey than necessarily a paycheck often put things or create things that are hugely undervalued. And that's one thing I think I fell for that trap many times. So, you know, working with Scott, where we were selling our programs, coaching programs for $500 a person to 3000 to realizing that actually 15,000 was far better uh, American, you know, and it was a big deal for, for us at the time. And I was like, there's no way I'm making a sale. And then to realize that it took me the same ability to make a sale as someone at 3000 and 15,000, it was a life changer, right? Just as hard, right? Oh yeah. And then, you know, what ended up happening, our, our clients actually showed up. They actually paid attention. They actually, you know, excuse my language, but they gave a shit when we were giving them advice and they would actually get results and it ended up just propelling us. You know, Americans, you know, even in, re you know, I'm in a retail business now and I, and I just realized that Americans like buying expensive stuff. It's just the truth. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. Like I've, I've seen it time and time again. Like one of the things about pricing is like when you charge more, you get people who are like, look, I'm going to listen to all the things versus if I did the same things and charge 50 bucks, they're going to be like, oh, whatever. You know, they're not as committed like that. You know, people really commit when they spend money and if they don't commit when they spend money, you at least made money, right? So it's sort of a win-win in, in that regard. So if you could tell yourself, you know, you could go back and give advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell Daniel? 
I would tell him to start looking into himself a little sooner. You know, uh, I think one of the biggest things that changed for me was when I ended up going through and doing my own, you know, like when we do a hire here, we go through and we're going to look at, you know, we, we would call it a disc profile in high ticket sales, you know, in the sales profile, I, you learn how to do disc so well that when I'm just hearing you on the phone, I can tell you what your personality type is and the different things that you have just so I know how to better talk to you and match you. And that was super helpful, but I never did that on myself. And, you know, once I did, I realized pretty quickly on that I'm the kind of guy that's always thinking there's greener grass on the other side of the fence. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Look, trust me, I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs can be right. But realizing that, you know, my, in my personality, if, if you stick with it, and this is specifically written in Myers-Briggs analysis, but like if you stick, if you're able to stick with something and really stay with something, that's when you're going to see the best of both worlds, the passion, the growth, the ambition, but also the consistency that can let you get somewhere you need to get to. And just knowing that about myself has just changed everything about how I make my decisions. And instead of thinking, you know, this is the next best thing, you know, giving myself a little bit more security and direction to what I'm doing. What would you kind of tell high schoolers to kind of explore like a group of high schoolers? What would you kind of tell them? You know, the, the biggest thing I tell them, and this is really interesting, and I think this is funny, but don't go to college right away. Like, I'm not saying you can't go to college, but I've had over 50% of my, I've had 50% of my friends go into college and then drop out and then go to a different degree in college or to a different job that they're not using there. And there's such a big push in schools to go and get your college degree, to know what you're doing right out of you come, you know, and if you know what you're doing, that's really great, but give yourself time to really know what you actually want to do. And, you know, if I'm talking to someone in high school, I would say exactly that, like, like what are the pieces you can know about yourself? And how can you make decisions today that are so flexible, but give you the right framework? I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Did I know what I wanted to do? No, but that gave me a framework at 12 years old to start working in that vein. And I would have never got the job or never got the investment in ego that eventually failed, but I would have never got that investment had I not previously, because actually the, 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 the guy who gave us $20,000 initially, he literally handed us a check. And I thought it was mind blowing at the time. He had seen my cones in stores in music stores. And so he's like, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, my cones were good cones. These were good drums they sounded really good and so he was impressed and you know that gave me an edge and if you can figure out you know what i don't know what type of styling you want to do but i want to do hairstyling you know or i don't know if you can figure out some of those pieces about yourself and start working towards that path that can give you something to hinge on uh, and i think the world's trying to push this 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 voice that says you need to have all your crap figured out you need to have everything figured out no what are some of the pieces you know that you really like, you know, for you, maybe it was like, you're really into sneakers, right? Like there's something there, run with it and kind of go from that direction. So that's kind of the advice I give because otherwise there's nothing wrong with working at 7-Eleven playing video games every night if that's what you want to do with your life. Like, I'm not going to judge you, but that's the default that will just happen just because you don't believe that you can do something and just start something, right? Like, is all I like to uh, usually say. Uh, no, I think that's phenomenal advice. So let's start to wrap up. What's something that you just want to share that you haven't shared yet? I've had this 10x rule and, you know, since I was younger, when I was really young, I, you know, I think I was eight at the time, I realized that, oh, the reasons we were in a long drive and I was just sitting out thinking I was eight years old. I was like, oh, the reason why dollar stores work was because they're a dollar. That's why they work. So I went and uh, <laughs> I thought, I have a brilliant idea. I'm going to create a penny store. Um, and we lived out in the middle of nowhere on a, a farm. So I put together, you know, as eight-year-old built this just really crappy shack thing, put it on the front driveway of our farm that no one drives down really except for our neighbors with their tractors. 
and found our household items that nobody wanted, all this junk. I must have had some skills to write the sign big enough where people could see it says Penny Store because I put Penny Store on there and I listed our stuff. And <laughs> uh, my parents, you know, for obvious reasons, they weren't going to let, you know, this is basically advertising to their neighbors that they were selling our trash for pennies. They weren't too fond of it, but they loved what I was doing, but they didn't love the idea. So, you know, my mom convinced my dad to rec- reluctantly tell me to tear it down. And I was bawling and crying. And my friend, unfortunately, who was with me at the time when I had to go tear this penny store down. And, uh, you know, I realized that this is my last opportunity to make a sale. This was my friend. And so I ended up selling him a Ventures and Odyssey CD at the time for like eight dollars it was <laughs> it was like more than all the products and the entire all the crappy products in the entire store uh, and he got his mom to get the money it was way overpriced it's, it started something in me at the time you know i had two dollars previously saved up and i realized i have ten dollars and i was eight years old and that was a big deal to me right we were very poor by the way we we used to truck water from our bathtub to our washing machine you know to the kitchen sink just to save on water and electricity and uh, so $10 was a big, big deal that made me realize like I, at that point I realized like, I don't need to be poor. Like I thought I was locked into that and I realized I don't have to be. And so I told myself like, I'm going to work up to the next level and the next level I'm going to work 10 X. So, you know, this is $10. Now my next goal is a hundred. I was 12 when I hit a hundred, sold my first cajon to my grandfather to be able to start Davis drum, the cajon business. And then I made my first thousand when they bought three cajones when I was about 15. And then, you know, when I was 18, I was able to bring $10,000 in in sales from that, that with client caller, you know, and then with Scott's business, I was able to make a hundred. And then, you know, now at Fium, we were able to get to the million mark. And it was never about the money. It's never been about the money, but what it was is it's always been pushing me, you know, it's like, okay, how do I think big? How do I think bigger? That focus is always, you know, I'm at a million dollars now. It's like, okay, how can I hit a hundred million? You know, what's our 10 million to a hundred million? What are those, those next steps that I need to take? And that's always kept me in a position where I'm always taking really big jumps, really big leaps. Yeah. And I think that that's been extremely valuable. So yeah, something I'd like to share that I haven't is think big, like give yourself room to really allow yourself to think bigger than I think a lot of us do just tend to naturally think. Yeah, no, I mean, thank you so much for this episode. How would people support you? How would people sort of connect with you? Yeah, there's no support that I need, but you know, we're on a mission and I'm pretty convinced that this mission is kind of something I want to die with. And it's it's helping people quit smoking, helping people quit nicotine. And there's a lot of other plants out there that can support you other than just uh, just tobacco. A lot of people go to tobacco, especially as entrepreneurs for the focus and the benefits of focus, but plants like peppermint can also give you the same focus. And so, you know, with fume, we've developed a product that's natural. that doesn't use combustion. It isn't smoke or anything like that, but it, it, it allows you to get the benefits of these super plants and allows you to get focused. It allows you to, to relax. It allows you to deal with depression and allows you to quit cravings naturally. And so for me, you know, we're on a mission to really help the world transition away from smoking. And so that's all I would say, you know, you know, someone who smokes or anything like that, tell them to check out Fume, tell them to leave their story if they are successful with the product. That's, that's really it for me. I really appreciate everything. So thank you so much. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree INC. 
If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.